Hey, everyone, and welcome to Scrapbook, the podcast about all things digital art. Today, we're adding a new segment called An Artist, a Collector, and an Art Critic Walk into a Bar, where it's basically just that, two, three friends just talking it up about the space. Today's guests are Tezos legend Mikey Wilson and the godfather of Tezos, Adam Crawford, a.k.a. Padrino. Welcome to the show, guys. And for you, Adam, I'll say that in Italian, baciamo le mani, which means kissing the hand, right? <laughs> and then it's the godfather, so welcome. Yeah, well, thank you, man. Thank you yeah, no, it's great. It's great to have you guys. So hopefully we can turn this thing into like a Monday thing, right? Where we just have just a free flow, just a broad conversation about the space, about all the goings on in, in the digital arts, right? So, Mikey, what's what's going on on your mind? What's What are you up to these days? Uh, I'm in. Same old stuff. Just trying to get through a Monday right now. <laughs> suggest that we call this I Hate Mondays, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> That's 100% in that mood yeah, right yeah. now. But it doesn't matter. He's still going to wipe the floor clean, though, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not an option. Sing Mikey Wilson single-handedly holding down the fort and keeping the digital arts economy going. <laughs> I'm out with ammo today. I have to wait until tomorrow. I'm trying to steal Twitter. To I hear you. <laughs> Too much I hear you. Adam, Adam, what's new and exciting on your end? I've just been... I've been Trying to learn how to make art, I suppose. Yeah. Learn to procreate. I've shown you guys a little bit of stuff, but working on building sort of a my own collective, like kind of with a, with another couple of members, kind of featuring dark art, like sort of social satire kind of yeah. shit. Yeah. Man, I wish Mikey would come help me build it. So I don't know. Maybe I'll talk to him about yeah. that. But yeah, I did a thing with Xerox and I think Mikey was on that too. And then uh, I have a friend, like, like, I think I told you I was in the photography. Yeah, world you, I you got did tell me that briefly. I like to, I like to know a little bit more about that. Cause it sounds like there's legit body of work there be, be, from the past, right? Yeah. And I was just going to say one of the NFT photographers from Italy, his name's Francesco. He's doing a book. He shoots film photography and he just went out and shot like all these old room 66 things that I kind of told him about as my old haunts i used to like i was homeless for yeah. so i was like driving around photographing shit in like national parks yeah. and white bands and like kind of old decay on the sides of the route 66 so he went and shot that and i'm writing the uh, i guess like the foreword or yep. the introduction to that and kind of talk about my experience in the photographic world but yeah before before i get into crypto i was a Magazine editor, sorry, magazine editor for about since 2000, 2006 to about 2012. I got several layoffs yeah. when the recession kind of came. And that's kind of when I got interested in crypto. And I was like, fuck this shit. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> sorry if I can't use that language. But like I was kind of in the Occupy Wall Street kind of movement. And I saw Quinn and it kind of seemed like a way of getting away from bankers and yeah. Them over other people so it was kind of like a punk rock thing to me yeah kind of progressed into nfts and that's kind of how i'm here yeah it's kind of my nurture. well that was an interesting time right because that came out of the lack of accountability kind of right after that mm -hmm. 2009 crash right like nobody went to jail <laughs> so it's just it's like yeah it was so fucked yeah. they're like oh yeah here you get forgiven and oh yeah by the way yeah <laughs> You play waste to the yeah. world and everybody has to like figure out how to like repurpose and retool yeah, for it. Meanwhile, the 18 year old kid who gets off the, the ferry on Martha's Vineyard gets stopped by the cops and gets sent and gets frisked and gets sent to jail for a bag of weed for like for 30 years. Right. Cause I, and right. I've seen that, I've seen that happen. So, but and again, it is what it is. Right. But it's, well, it's a great, it's an interesting story. Yours, Adam, right. Cause it's like, it's coming out of that experience, which I think informed a lot of what the disillusionment, right? And actually the ethos that came to crypto, right? That sort of like, fuck, fuck those, the IRL, right? And let's just, let's establish a new, a total new framework, right? Of, of yeah. culture, of behavior and just overall community dynamics. So. That's what brought me to Tezos. Like it, it was like, seemed like an organic thing that was going mm -hmm. on. And it probably like some fucking punk rock shit was going on. It felt like Nirvana was happening or like first time I listened to like Warriors B.I.G. or some shit. And I saw like people like blending all kinds of different art and multimedia. I was like, shit, this is something I want to be a part of for sure. Yeah. That's how I got it at least, or at least deep in with the creme de la creme for sure. Um, 
Hey, about, about you guys, Mike and Adam, the, what about the sort of like the technological hurdle, right? Because there's a little bit of a barrier, right? You got to figure out the wall. You got to figure out the exchange. You got to figure out and move the money around. What's it like? Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a te as technologically sort of inclined as, as, the, as this generation, right? But I, and I can't even remember how I figured it out, but somehow I did. And, and it's a blur for me, but I feel like it was pretty smooth. What was your experience like kind of like really jumping in, right? Was it quick? I mean, I actually have an IT degree, so it's kind of really fair. I mean, I just kind of, I really did, like was self-taught. I mean, yeah. I guess it was, all right, it was easy because like I onboarded to like NFTs with NBA Top Shot. So the interface was easy to use. Yeah. You, had, you had to use, was it Flow? That's oh, the, yeah. That's the blockchain it's on. And you could use a fiat. You could pay, you could pay with a credit debit yeah. card. Oh, I mean, that was re really easy to figure out. You didn't really have to know the technical side of it, but that, so that was like my first little taste. And then I heard about like hash masks. So then I learned about like OpenSea and then I had to figure out MetaMask. So, I mean, and then I just kind of made a couple, maybe I traded like two or three of those hash masks just to get right. like, to figure out how everything worked. And by the end of that, like I felt, I mean, it was for me, I had to figure out on my own, but then like in turn, like I probably turned on like five more of my friends, but right. it definitely is a hurdle because I, I have to handhold a lot of people. Like it's scary for people and yeah, it's definitely still a hurdle, but I feel like that hurdle is getting less and less because like, if you look at like Nifty Gateway, like they accept fiat and like I hooked up my uh, girlfriend's mom with an account yeah. there and I just linked her card to it. And she's like, oh my God, that, that was easy. Yeah. So for like <laughs> going like to learn Tez for the first time, like that was, that was a little hurdle, but because I've already been through learning MetaMask and Ethereum, Tez wasn't a problem. Yeah. Just had to get the Kukai wallet and Hikagnum was around at that point. That was, that was a bit cumbersome and hard to figure out, but no, it definitely still remains a hurdle for a lot of people is Yeah, that, I think that's the biggest challenge to onboarding, right? Just a mass adaptation. But I feel like it, in the long run, it won't be, you know, it won't be an issue in that people will just yeah. figure out a way to, because there's be more people to handheld them and bring them into the space. But you stayed on an open sea for New York second, right? And then you moved straight to, to hand, right? To awesome. pesos, right? Well, no, all right. This, this should be the first topic. So I was around, I went right from open sea, like in hash mass to nifty gateway. Oh, okay. And like, that was my first exposure to like, Art, yeah. You know what I mean, like true art, and not just like a PFP. Yeah. Hash mask is art, but it was like PFP kind. But like that's where I found and like discovered like Dot Pigeon and yeah, like Mad Dog Jones, Trevor Jones. Like that was around like yeah. Twenty Angels, but that was during the original. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was an open edition graze before that one, but there was a huge open edition graze on Nifty Gateway from like I joined right before that, and there was a time where you could buy any. Anything that was minting and you could sell it that day for some type of profit. And yeah. that was going on for like two or three months straight. And then it all kind of yeah. crashed. And th this is 2020? This was 2021. Oh, May. Around May, I guess. Yeah. Spring of that time. Yeah. yeah I was, mean, like. That was tough. I'm seeing like a lot of. Yeah. I'm having flashbacks. Let's <laughs> put it that way. You're right. And I learned my lesson back then. So, I mean. Yeah, let's talk about the open editions. <laughs> so, I mean, easy, man. Like, Ness graphics yesterday or the, a day or two ago made a million dollars. Like, yeah. that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. But, I mean, right now, you can buy that same piece for under mint. But, yes. It's cool. I don't know. It's like the way I'm approaching this is with extreme caution. I'm trying to focus on just getting like lesser known under the radar artists, trying to get like their open editions. Now, I got a, a like, Sabato, a great example. Someone I love on Tezos. He's been doing, he had a couple of uh, open editions recently. And like, there's only less, like 10 mints or something like that, like, le or less on it. And I got it for like 0.01. I don't know. It's just, to me, it's insane. These are like steals to me. Like all the attention has gone to like the hype ones. And it's like, this is a great opportunity to just collect the people you love, like low editions for low prices. And I guarantee you, I'm like, just 
not just financially, like I feel better about myself supporting the people like I like interact with and know when I'm friends with. And I just think like that in history, like th those are going to be like the better purchases, yeah. like looking back. Yeah, I agree. And the support is twofold, right? It's not just the finance, right? It's not a lot of money, but you know, it's still for an artist could be, could be, can make a difference, right? But it's also the, the fact that now they, their work resides in your collection, which, and we'll, hopefully we'll have some time to talk about your, your, uh, your collection. Cause I think it's probably one of the most cultural, culturally relevant collections out there. Um, but and now my ETH collection is starting to look a lot like my Tesla. Yeah, collection. I've seen that. Right. Like, so you've gone yeah. pretty, so you're like, you're at home in both places, right? In both, uh, in, in, in both, uh, in both, on both chains. So it's just been great yeah. to see that. But I agree though, it is about sticking with the original objective, which is to look for the sort of the up and coming artists and not established artists and, and get in early, right. And, and help them sort of establish themselves, right. With, with the degree of control that you have. Yeah. I think that's what a good collector does is they early on find and cultivate talent and support them at a very early sort of part of their career, but. On the open edition thing, like, I think I have like a, an interest in it on that. I think it's like really cool that like the manifolds created this, basically this app where it's like plug and play and you can create this fun, never ending sort of open edition, limited edition. And I think it's, I think it's great for sort of, let's say established artists. But to me, like, if you have something that's just like an open edition and the one can point like put one point one ETH and say you can mint like five thousand of these. It just kind of seems a little bit. It's like cash grab. Yeah. I think like like you kind of think of it in like a traditional art sort of space. It's like having different levels of direct provenance to the artist. It's like a silk screen, like a limited edition lithograph, or is it like an actual one of one? painting or something like that so i think in the future a lot of these support pieces like even having a token that like might even be considered like a member token into like the ecosystem of tjo or terrell and all these guys like i think that's also going to be important too because that's going to be a limited supply of like og kind of thing but i think at that time i think it's getting very exhausting in my opinion but i think you need to have to be very careful as an artist like if you're not established like like, oh, just do an open edition. I, th I think you have to be very careful about how much supply you put out there. Because if you start just selling to the DGENs and they're going to be like, where's my utility? Where's the, well, like, just mentioning about the goddamn floor the whole time. I, I know that because I've, I've watched a PFP project and I know how miserable that fucking world is. And it's just, it just, it's better to make art your way, but to be a little bit more discerning about how much you release. But that's just my favorite. Yeah, but a lot of, but Adam, a lot of these artists, especially the up, the up and comers, the ones that are trying to make a name for themselves, I mean, they'll tell you that the reason why they're doing these open edition is to broaden the, their community, right? To ex increase their exposure to the space, right? And uh, so, so what is the, the answer? Is it, is, it, is it kind of productive or is it productive if you're early stage in your career and you're already going like at the open edition route, which, you know, can mean like, actually at the beginning could be like 25 30 editions at the most because nobody knows you, right? Mm -hmm. And as a collector, I guess that could be interesting, right? Because if the if the artist does catch fire, right, you're sitting on a on a 30 edition piece, right? That's what I think. I mean, like I had some early up scenes and I was like, holy shit, like just can lit on fire. But I kind of had an idea that he would in some of these like underscore and these guys that are coming up and rip cash. DGB, these guys are just exploding and just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. So it's cool to have like some of those pieces, but you know, a lot of it's cool too, is like in the fake rare world, you have a lot of like the drops on ETH too, just like meme factories and let's fight the memes and all this kind of stuff. So that shit's fun to me. <laughs> yeah. You can have fun with it too, but you can also exhaustively do it. So. Yeah. I mean, from my standpoint as a collector, right, the real value is in the uh, one of ones and in the limited editions, right? 10, 20, 50, right? The open editions is sort of like the fun. I think six, Funk 6529 was talking about it yesterday where he was saying, well, it's like poster editions, right? Where, yeah, you get it for the, you just have it in your wallet or because it's just part of the conversation, right? But it doesn't, it's not material to your collection, right? It doesn't, it doesn't change the value of it it doesn't change the uh, the dynamics of the collection it's just it's just a throw around piece right that you just have 
you have around. And if you put up a virtual gallery, you put it up, right? Or you choose not to put it up. It's just a, yeah, it's a throw around item, right? But, you know, because the real value is really in the one of ones and the, and the limitation. And I agree with that. That's been my approach. I certainly participate. I've gotten a few more because I wanted to get sort of exposure to that artist and wanted to show my support and encourage them to continue building in that direction. But, but I, I'm not giving too much weight to it. And I'm, I agree with Mikey. I'm sticking with my, with my own formula, right? Which is follow your instinct, right? Be, com, be convinced and be super, I should I say, it, super direct in, in chasing the artists that you want to chase and, uh, and stay focused on that, right? So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it's like the large edition amounts are kind of like the posters of the basket poster that you yeah, have at yeah, home yeah, or, yeah. and then the limited edition is like having a signed silk screen or something from a Warhol yeah. suit can or something. I have, no, I agree with you. Like, I, like, that's what I want. I just want low edition one to one. But I think you're right. Like that, those tokens are giving you exposure to an artist that maybe you're interested in. And it like that, that's exciting for some people. And it's exciting for me too, to like, it kind of give me an introduction. If like, maybe I'm, I'm going to click more from that person and like, it's a, a nice, easy price to get into that, his ecosystem or their ecosystem or her ecosystem. Yeah. You can gauge whether it's like, you know what, I really want to pursue this artist seriously, kind of really take a position, commit to it. But one thing I wanted to ask you guys, because it's typically we tend to judge or to wait based on the canons of the traditional world, right? Like, oh, but you know, in the past we did it this way. And the reality is like, you, you always have to evaluate and judge based on the reality of the moment, right? Of, of the existing community, of the existing marketplace, right? And so how, with that in mind, though, how, what if the, the current community, the current marketplace has decided that a certain, a certain product, whether it's the open edition, is the way to go, right? Because it's all about conventions, right? It, like even money. At some point, we decided, we all agreed that this piece of paper is worth $5, that one is worth $10, right? It's all convention. It's, there's no inherent, inherent value to it. But it's a group of us, a society that gets together and say, okay, we're going to decide, we're going to take a position that this is valued this much, right? So with that in mind, right, today's, today's marketplace, today's generation, today's consumer base, perhaps is deciding that open, open edition is a valuable, yeah, product, right? So, so like, how do, you, how do you go between the two, the traditional sort of assessment model and, the, and, and what the current, what the community decides what is valuable or what's not valuable? Mikey? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one to answer. I mean, you got to be somewhere in between the two. I mean, whenever we're doing something new, I usually ask you, because traditionally, what, what has been done in the past. Mm -hmm. I like, because I used to, I like to know what traditional behavior used to dictate. And if it like makes sense, I don't need to shake up every, everything. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, you got to have a balance between the two. Essentially just kind of correct the things that you don't like about the past. And that's a good point. So to sort of like, it's correct, right? To, yeah, course correct. It's kind of quantum leap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put right things that once went wrong. And the reality, I mean, that's the answer, right? Because when it comes to open edition, we kind of, we've all done it, right? We've all participated, right? You got a few, I got a few, Junior's got a few. So, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes, where it goes and where it leads, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's definitely how long will this moment last? That's just the current thing right now. And we all know how long now is until the next thing, you know what I mean? So it's well, like, that, that, that moment. you got to take everything by the green and salt. We'll yeah. see, see how it plays out. But I mean, it'll probably go away for a while, open editions, and then a year from now, I'll come back again. Yeah. Or in, in know, different disguise, yeah. I would say, in my opinion, the meta of the moment kind of becomes the sort of the thing that works as sort of because of the mimetic quality of it. Yeah. But I think when you kind of blend it with like a traditional art and you kind of see like... <clears throat> You can kind of take from that, but also the blockchain and the way of using keys for, I don't know, like whether it's like performance art or anything like that is you can, like, you can use open editions to sort of use as like a burn key for like burn five of these to get like a limited edition of that kind of thing. So I think it's like one of those things where someone found lightning in a bottle and they're like, holy shit, that just made that person a shitload of money. And then that takes off. And then that kind of spawns like creativity, like kind of downstream down the line kind of stuff. So you see like 
you'll see like interesting thing. Like you'll see like Alpha Centauri kid do like the burns for his great color theory, which I thought was like the coolest thing to be a part of ever. But it's just the blockchain gives you like new opportunities, but traditional art, like, like I'm with you guys is like, I want to know the history. I'm by no means like an art curator or like a art historian like like you and Michele, but I just, I like what I like. And it seems like memetic things sort of have lasting quality. Like for instance, you have things like, I don't know if you guys remember like when Kevin with Pixelmon. <laughs> sort of, I mean, like that's, that has cultural rele- relevance to it. And it has that memetic quality to it. That token for how it is will have some sort of bearing, yeah. I think. It keeps coming back, right? Because it's brought back to make fun of something, but at the same time, you're yeah. validating it, right? So, so it, there's a little bit of like a philosophical kind of, it's almost like existential there, right? Because it's like, we keep bringing it up, right? So, and we, by bringing it up, we keep giving it life. We keep giving it relevance, right? So, uh, so, but, so that's exactly, but that's exactly the, the chicken or the egg situation there, right? But, and you brought up the perfect example. So that might be your answer right there, right? In, in, in sort of writing something off, we, we, we give it a life, right? And we give it value. Yep. We give it a lot of value to it. Like, who are we to judge? I kind of am those people that sort of observes, but sort of hedges my bets yeah. on what I think will be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like, I like to build things. I like to yeah. sort of like curate things, collect things. And I like to bet on things that may or may not work and kind of fun to see some seeds that you sprout that grow. And it's like, I'm sure Mike, you can tell you, I mean, look at how many artists he's cultivated over the time with Crab and Vanguard. It's like, it's cool to see. Sort of how that happens. So, so I don't even know where it's going with that. <laughs> and, and that's the point I was trying to make, right? Because who cares what a traditional opinion might be when the community, the current community has decided that has value, right? Like, so, so what if like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the, we, we couldn't sell an art product in this format, right? doesn't matter because today's community, the Web3 community has decided this is a perfectly viable, not only a perfectly viable product, but a perfectly viable way to sell that product, right? Whether it's an open edition, whether, whether it's a new, total new tool, right? All that matters is the current marketplace, is the current user base, right? That's all that matters. Yeah, the market is like kind of ever-changing yeah. too, if you think about it. As we see... I think with these open edition, you're seeing the return of all these botted like things that instantly sell out. It's these DGENs that are coming in. They're bored. Like I think I was telling you guys that they're bored with their shit coins, their dog like their doggy coins and all that stuff. So they're like, oh shit, PFP's not working out. So yeah. open edition is like ripe for flipping. It's kind of like you don't really it's an interesting thing. It just brings money and liquidity in the market. I think it's just like one of those stepping stones on, I don't know, maybe you could tell me like, maybe that's a stepping stone into like more of a traditional way of getting into the attention of museums or galleries or having people more interested in digital art that can be collected in NFT form. You know what I mean? Like, is that something that can be viable? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, it's culture making, right? It's all the, we're probably sitting as witnesses to probably one of the most culture one of the most defining cultural moments, right? As we migrate from trad art to digital art, right? It's it's a really, really unique time in history, right? That we are experiencing. And we're smack in the middle of it, right? Not only talking about it, but doing it, building it, right? So it's definitely culture defining, right? But and I, Mike, I think you brought it up earlier when you were saying that it feels like the early end days, right? With, yeah, because um, I mean, totally like the way my first introduction to like Hicklunk was like through Twitter. Like you couldn't really go on hen and like search for things oh, or find anything any like in any productive way. Like you can maybe watch the live feed and get lucky once in a while with something you like. You're like, oh, I like this. But there was you know, I just learned how to just watch Twitter, follow artists I like, and when they tweeted out a link, click on that, you collect yeah, it. It was it was yeah, like I mean, Pong. Was, Remember the video game Pong, right? That it was like it's man. It was like Mike Wico vision day. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's the same exact concept, basically. It's go on Manifold, create, mint something. You have a link to it, tweet it out. Anyone that click on the link and collect it. Like, it, there's no one stopping anyone from doing anything at this point. Yeah. So 
like in that respect, I'm seeing I'm seeing t- tons of artists I've never seen before with the additions popping up. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely works for like artist discovery, like you mentioned earlier. But I mean, it totally does remind me of the early days ahead. Because even the approach to Brown pricing, just, right, and and loss, yeah. right, is very it's much closer exactly. to the Tezos experience to the hand experience, right, than it is to yeah. traditional. There's people doing limited editions too. They're not just doing open editions. Like they're doing like yeah. low price editions yeah, of pen. Yeah. Like we're saying. And a couple but, of follow-up questions then, Mike. Do you think so do you think was Ma- was Manifold a catalyst for it? Or you think it would have happened regardless, right? Because this tool is all of a sudden available to the community, or we would have figured out a way to do it regardless of I mean, I feel like they kind of like before it even went operational, everyone knew it was coming. You know what I mean? They already put it out there into the air. Yeah. There'll, there'll be no more gatekeeping. You know what I mean? Anyone wants to mint, everyone has the freedom to mint. So like, I think that even if they hadn't done it, it would have happened eventually, but they did do it. So, I mean, props to them. They manif- <laughs> manifested that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the ease of use of it, it's a game changer. I mean, like I said, like that was a cool part of the early days of him was seeing like anybody hit like it's like public access TV. Yeah. Everyone has access to this. Let's see what kind of weird shit comes out. Of yeah, here. you're right. It felt so that way. Yeah. It's like, that's the exciting part for yeah. me. Like this open edition pipe is, you know, it's whatever, man. I'm staying true to my roots. Like you said earlier, it's just trust your yeah. instincts. Follow your blueprint. Yeah. Your own blueprint. Yeah. And the other follow-up question was, do you think because of the cross-pollination of chains, like more artists from Tezos coming to, to ETH, starting to like influence that, bringing a little bit of that ethos from, from Tezos and, and applying it to Ethereum. So you think, is that also influencing this, the success of the open edition formula? I think more so is the freedom the technology like provides, like that was a huge part of the ethos of Tezos, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that is responsible for most of that vibe, but the artists bringing their art to Ethereum now is also definitely part of it. Yeah. And like, like that piece of Levon did where the drop on Arthropo kind of visually like that boat in the canal yeah. and he has the bridge in the background, yeah. like those two worlds, I mean, he called that like three months before, like it's come to fruition. I mean, that's when it was starting to happen. And on Arthropa, we definitely, yeah, we definitely did our part to, we did our vision of what was to come and it was kind of prophetic. I mean, it was happening then, yeah. but it, over the past few months, definitely we're seeing a huge cross pollination between the chains. A lot of the Tezos artists are first doing their first mints on ETH, on ETH and then you got someone like Uxine who came from Tezos and he alone brought many people from a lot of big collectors, like ex-copy collectors and stuff over to Tezos for the first time. And now they're branching out and checking out artists besides him. So yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I see people that haven't really collected on ETH before starting to collect on ETH a little bit now. People that were traditionally Tezos right, collectors. Right, right. So, I mean, that cross-pollination is just, it's just blending and it's just going to continue to go yeah. that way. And I would say fairly smoothly, right? Fairly, like there hasn't been any, no camp wars. Right? <laughs> I feel like we've, it's been, I mean, the neighborhood is just fine, right? Yeah, no big fight. Yeah, we, and we had a little bit of fun, right? You know, we, with the, uh, with your drop, it was, no, it was, it was, DVDs drop, right? That we call There Goes the Neighborhood, right? But for us, it was a way to poke fun at it, right? Let's bring yeah. some of the talent to Ethos and let's change, let's try to change the, the look and feel of the space, right? Or just the vibe of the space and just bring a little bit of that swashbuckling kind of a vibe from Tezos to ETH and have a little fun with it. Yeah, I mean, love that drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it's happening, right? Like you say, the cross-pollination between the two chains is definitely happening. And it's, and it's not just on the artist end, it's also, like you said, on the collectors, right? I'm seeing more collectors traditionally from the ETH space kind of migrating to Tezos, to object and collecting on object, right? Which is great to see for the overall. Listen, if we bring it back to the art, right? If we always bring it back to the art, right? And if we're doing it for the art, right? It's great to see, right? Because, because, you know, the, Audiences have to be have to ex, be exposed to this amazing art that's out there, and God knows there's a lot of amazing art out there. A lot of garbage, but but there's a lot of great, there's a lot of great art, a lot of great art. So you can't have great art without garbage, <laughs> right? Yeah, Adam, on your end, any thoughts on that? On the cross pollination of the chains? On both, you like you you you're in both places, yeah, right? I started on ETH 
and really started collecting NFTs and probably the same time around August. I, like I was actually going back, I was looking at the chain at some of like the early NFT purchases that I made and they were, a lot of them were from like, well, I don't know if you guys remember the pranksy boxes, like the little yeah. like printed drops he was doing. So I had like a bunch from then. Yeah. So it was like, like June, 2021 or something like that. But like I'd come from DeFi, I was working on a bunch of like DeFi protocols doing like copywriting and marketing bullshit. And I just got interested in NFTs because I've always been into art and it just kind of seemed like a natural fit. But I I started finding, I think it was FX hash. I was first interested in sort of gener generative art. And and I found that. So I started like getting like really early to get these really great, great generative drops and then I just started going through all these wallets and I, it was kind of like a discovery for me. It was like, I found like the greatest artist, like I was the most likes. He started following me. Then I found Rat Cloak. I was just absolutely blown away by him. I still am. Like, it's I know, right? Yeah. And the myth, you know, Gloom Tube and all those guys. But yeah, that, you're right. Like, you're exactly right. When Auxene, like he brought so many people that were like Ethereum sort of uh, purists or were only doing fake rares to Tezos, like getting their temple wallets or their Kukais or whatever and minting shit there and like talking about it. And like, you'll go into Auxene's Discord and they're like people trading some like Tezos low edition for some higher edition F pieces. So I see a huge amount of interest for that's kind of like the only two chains that I'm interested in is Ethereum and Tezos, like Solana. I think that's kind of a risky bet. Yeah. In my opinion. Well, I mean, you're talking about 98%, what, 99% of the traffic volume is on the two, is on the two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just, I think it's been a great way to, it's just like a first step in the evolution of people seeing the value of these two chains. I think when I think of Tezos, I think it's like the art chain you see, like you see more like museums investing in sort of nonprofits being more interested in the clean NFT initiatives and things like that. And then Ethereum consider like the base layer of the internet in a way of web three. So they're just the two chains that I'm interested in, but I've seen a lot of an uptick, especially with the Tezos artists, especially with the art Stropo drops. I think you're right. You guys were like early on to that whole thing. Like when you said that, I was like, just had a, oh, I was like, you're right. You guys were doing those addictions drops before that happens that's really cool yeah yeah and yeah, that was the conversation yeah. that we had early on right it was like i mean it was right it was the first the first thing we discussed was like as we will as we were even launching this arthropod project it's like well it should somehow be a bridge right between the two worlds because gosh we're 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 in both places we're collecting on both spaces right and gosh how many people could stand to benefit to be to get exposed to the amazing art right that's coming from one place, one place to the other, right? And plus the fact, the fact that some major collectors were starting already to look at Tezo series, like VD, NorCal guy. I know Erasmus out in Copenhagen was doing that. Karma Cowboy, he was already collecting on Tezo. So I just felt like it, we we fell off from the get go that it was the right thing to do, the right thing to pursue, right? Oh yeah. So do we feel like there's like a sort of like a maturing of the space, kind of like there's I feel like a feeling of like the adults are coming into the room or do we feel like it still has that irreverent attitude in general? And I guess well, I, I would frame that around the fact that is it an appearance or is it a fact that we're moving from PFP to fine art? Yeah, I mean, in, in that respect, definitely it's maturing. I'm just glad that, I mean, we, we didn't deal with the PFP hype for the first like two years of this. And the whole time I like, and I feel like I've been able to see like the writing on the raw wall. You know what I mean? Like the whole time I was like, this cannot last. But there are a few examples like board apes and punks, of course, that'll yeah. stand the test of time. But like, it was like every other fucking day there was a new PFP yeah. launch. And one, try 10, 15. I was being garbage, man. And it's just like, it's like, I felt crazy. Like, how is this still going on? Why is this still happening? Like for over a year, like, it was insane. And the whole time, it, the people I listened to were all saying like art, it, like just collect art. Like, yeah. like the, and luckily I listened and I mean, I, I had a pretty much abandoned Ethereum and that's when I found him and Tezos was because I just. I was just 
over all of the PSD yeah. hype. And like, I mean, I guess I matured faster. Like for me, that was for me, that was me personally maturing was I matured while collecting on Tezos. Like that's yeah. how I found myself who I am as a collector right. that then I started, I, I was given the courage to start minting and creating myself. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, yeah. So I guess there is a maturation process happening right now. Thankfully. It's not, it's not, um, just, an, it's not just an appearance, right? We have to, I, like, I don't right? think it is just an appearance and the, the numbers don't lie. You know what I mean? The numbers don't lie. I mean, we're seeing with these open editions, these are for the most part, art-based open editions yeah. and they're making a killing right now. PFEs, not so much. Yeah. If Numbers don't lie. I would say like we, what we're seeing is a maturation of the technology because I've been around for probably, so I've been around since like 2013, but like working in the space of crypto probably since like 2016 till now. And just seeing like all the fucking bullshit from ICOs to <laughs> PFPAs to all kinds of things in the only sort of true fit that I've ever, after seeing all these different things is being able to, to tokenize art or to like own art and actually have it within your possession and the power of that. And people say like, right, click, save. But the power of that is, is like, I remember I was reading some Twitter thread. Someone was saying like a lot of like all these amazing pieces of art have never been seen because collectors have them in their private collections. But what we have here at Digital Art is we have, they can be broadcast and seen anywhere that a digital computer or some sort of projection in the future, that kind of thing. So it democratizes art. It, it makes it ownable on the blockchain. I just think it's the maturation that is coming is that yeah. the future of art is digital art. And the way to capture that is to use a blockchain. I yeah, think. bring up a great point, Adam, because I was thinking about not too long ago, I was talking to, I was talking to someone in Philadelphia who's, who's very close to one of the top collectors in the Philadelphia region of traditional art, right? And I was asking him, so where's most of the art, right? Where's most of his art? And he said, it's in storage. And that's exactly it. Like, I would say maybe, I'm probably exaggerating, but probably by not much. I would say 80% of the top quality art is in a free port in Geneva, somewhere in Switzerland. Because obviously, you know, but there's all these like bonded warehouses in, in it, it's, they're mostly in Switzerland. It's either Zurich or Geneva, sure. where all the Schoenbergs, all the Twombly's, all the Picassos are all there, right? They're all locked up in crates in these encrypted warehouses. So you make fun of these JPEGs, but uh, hey, fuck, I, you make fun of these virtual galleries. And it's like, at least I can look at it every day, right? Like, at yeah. least I, I, can, I can go through my, gal my virtual gallery and take it all in. And, and instead for these guys, it's like, it's a picture for them too, because obviously the real work is in a, in a warehouse. So, and that's a fact. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing is art in your pocket on a little ledger device that you can keep as secure as the Swiss bank vaults with all the Rauschenbergs and everything. So, yeah. So, so Mikey, let's go back to your collecting. So you've, so you've been collecting like pretty aggressively for the last, the last two years, I would say, right? Two, three years, right? And yeah. so it sounds like, so it sounds like you developed your aesthetic as you were going along, right? As you came into the hand experience, right? Into the Tezos experience, you started developing all, your own visual sort of like framework, right? For what, you know, what you liked, right? The artists that you liked, the, the style that you liked, right? And then you started developing your and developing your style and then building the conviction, right? To pursue the art and the artist as, as laser focused as you are now. Right. Yeah. But I, I didn't do any of that, like intentionally with any, like whatsoever. Yeah. It just kind of happened. I don't know, man. Like, yeah, really. Like I try not to think at all. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, I mean, it's really tough to answer that. Like, it just naturally developed. So maybe not consciously, but if I look, you know, if I lay it all out, right? If we lay it all out, there's definitely a... Do you make, you, you're the one, you, you make me stop and think. And like, now I have to like look back and like think about what I was doing. I'm like that dude in the cartoon that ran off the cliff and he's running. He doesn't realize <laughs> the ground came out from underneath him. <laughs> I mean, and then he falls. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Like, no, but there's definitely an aesthetic. There's definitely. A, oh, looking back. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No. You know what I mean? Like, I like, cause it'll be crazy. I'll collect something that's completely bizarre and outrageous for like a Tez, but then 
buy something that traditionally would be called like beautiful yeah. or like the fine art for like 110 but there's room for like all of that like in my collection you know what i mean like i'm like that with music too you know i'm a music nut i know <laughs> the craziest underground hip-hop stuff from the 90s and early 2000s yeah. But then I'll listen to like being Beethoven. Yeah, so it's it follows that that sort of approach, right? That that philosophy. Yeah, that's my life. Yeah. I mean, it's even with books, everything, movies. You know, what I mean, I want to watch some like <laughs> I don't watch wrestling, but it's because it'd be like I watch wrestling and then I go watch The Godfather. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like I I don't judge. Yes, like I'm not a snobby dude. Yeah. I appreciate like ugliness too oh well there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty in ugliness right probably the well the most the ugliest of stories right make probably the, the prettiest of art right i feel like the most exactly. the more the more damage right the more the, the better the story will be right so so i agree with you but but i think it's it, i guess it speaks to your interest level right in general right it's what what you're interested in which is a broad sounds like it's a broad range of styles right of of yeah of of visual and aesthetics right and it reflects on the collection but the other thing i noticed like you're not only collecting art and but you're also co collecting a sort of relationship right because you tend to you tend to really you're really hands-on and really involved right at the personal level meaning like you really like to build relationship with the people you collect with the artists you collect right oh totally man yeah i mean but it, at the same time like like i don't like, i don't do like <laughs> fuck, like charity collects or anything you know what i mean like if I don't like something, I'm not going to yeah. collect it. Yeah. You know what I mean, but totally like I will try to go out of my way to support the people who I do have relationships with. I mean, it really at this point, I don't have to go out looking for as much art as I used to. At this point, I can like just sit back and it comes to you, right? Just, yeah, just from the like my object notifications, I see what's minting. You know what yeah. I mean? So. For that regard, I don't really have to rely on Twitter at that point, but that's for like the Tez stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just means a lot. Like, cause like, like I said, the first person I've said this before, like I'm, it's so cool that like, like I'm a music fan, but like, I don't expect Kanye West to answer my DMs. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, so like, like the isolationist was the first person to ever kind of reach out to me via dm my first started collecting on tez and i was like holy shit this is pretty fucking cool you have like <laughs> you interact with the with the creator of, yeah. of what you're consuming and like he hey that dude's become like one of my best friends like in life in general you know what i mean it was yeah. like online yeah. yeah so like i had another collector even mentioned to me the other day he's like wow you're iso isolationist collector or collection is pretty insane i'm like yeah and then i went on to say like besides how awesome the art is i went into like the meaning behind all of it like like the relationship that we have yeah like he introduced me into like different group chats and then that kind of led to lacrem forming which led to like a thousand other actually changed a thousand other artists lives so like it's very important to me like that that relation you have with artists now like it's never really been possible before like yeah, you bought a certainly the medium yeah, yeah. certainly the platform of just web3 in general has allowed that but it's intentional too right like you kind of foster it right you encourage it right and yeah, yeah. and then it's weird because then you'll see like because then i'll be asked for like my advice and everything and i'm not an expert on anything you know what mm -hmm. i just tell you what my gut tells yeah. me but then you'll see like all of a sudden like my image will start popping up into pieces. You know what I mean? So then I, from because of a relationship I have with the artist, they start to like incorporate me to the art. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Like that doesn't, like that's never happened in any type of like art form before. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, you got to take stock of it, right? Because it's, it's out there. It's happening, right? So listen, we all tend to be on the humble side of things like, but you know, your perception, right? Or your, yeah, your perception in the public space, especially on the artist side, right? Is one of a culture maker, one of, of, of big influence and one who's a key part of the community, right? A key, and so therefore you make your persona makes its way in, into the art itself. So I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. I think it's been really fun to watch from the outside. Um, <laughs> Shit is surreal. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like having a front seat to like, yeah. like you were saying, man, this is a, is a historical moment. Oh, it is. It's like, it I feel is, like it I'm is. 
of a starter of a seat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Especially from the culture defining aspect, right? Because there's new rules that are being set up. There's new mechanics. There's new code of, even code of ethics, right? The the community is self-regulating, right? You'll see that a key moments it comes together to call something out or to fix something right so so it's definitely a yeah it's definitely a defining moment and here we are right kind of talking about it building it or doing taking part of it in our own in our own yeah to the extent that we can we can impact it so totally yeah adam how's your collecting going when did you start collecting again tease you said was i would say like 20 like Summer 2021 yeah. is when I started like the primacy boxes, and unfortunately, I didn't get the X copy from those boxes. I got, but I got like eclectic method yeah. and neuro color, and some and a lot of money, and like some of those early pioneer OGs in the space that we see today. But you know, like my, I guess my sort of collecting style has always been sort of defined by just like like Mikey, like the stuff I like, hip hop, the hip hop, yeah, I like. Uh, pop culture that I absorb, like mafia movies. I mean, that's why and Padrino, like the project that I launched was based on like a La Cosa Nostra yeah. high art. And interested in that world, that sort of gritty um, shit that Krim had. Yeah. And me too. I'm like, I love, it's like, I'm a hardcore networker too. Like I reached out to Mikey, I've reached out to like Purple Drake and all them. And like, we ended up like doing things together. We did pop me for a while. We we're a little on hiatus, but I mean, I like reaching out to people and creating a relationship with them. And it does, it feels, it feels like a special moment. Like, it's like so cool to be like in the trenches with someone like Mikey, like culture tastemaker. And it's, it's neat to be in those groups and kind of build culture factories in a way. I don't know, maybe like it's our own little Warhol factory. Yeah, no, that, that's a great analogy, right? Because it's time. History unfolds at different paces, right? In retrospect, it's so much easier to look at to look at a period of time and say, okay, oh, it's obvious, right, that this and this happened. But as it unfold as it unfolds in real time, it's really hard to pick up the narrative in the in in its entirety, right? So now we're it's hard to do, right? You, you can get a feel for it, right? Which we are, right? We realize, right? We are, that we are in a period of like a transformational period, and we under, we're understanding the importance of it, right? That's going to play in the history of art or whatever, but we don't know the extent of of what that that transformation is going to look like, right? Because don't forget, guys, it's not just. It's not just the, it's not just art, right? It's the, it's how we're going to, it's how we're going to be living going forward, right? It's the, I mean, there's something to me, in my opinion, this is just my humble opinion. There's something completely altering that's happening right now as we make our way towards, towards a digital threshold, right? And we addressed it with one of the drops that we did with Dystopia, right? Remember that, Mikey? He has to do with the fact that we're changing even the rules of what it means to be a human, right? Because now all of a sudden, the idea, the concept of, of identity changes, right? Now, as we have now these sort of like PSDs, yeah. right, become our identity, it changes the, completely the, the, the idea of what it even means to, because we used to, we are typically used to, the, I, the concept of identity is at the core of being human, right? It's, everything is founded on the idea of identity. And now we're saying, well, we're changing that. We're changing what it means, the concept of identity, right? So that's a main major change. Then the fact that we're, we're as humans, right, we're making way to machine, for machine, right? So now it sounded like we're having the machine kind of making this. So these are all transformational changes that are taking place, which we kind of have an idea what it's going to look like, where it's going to go, but we don't know in hindsight what it's going to be like. So it's definitely a defining moment, one that is exciting. I look at it with a lot of optimism because I'm excited about the technology. I'm excited about the changes. But there's also a little bit of weariness, right? What does it look like when, when we cede control, right, to, to the machine, right? So, so I don't know. I'm super excited about the time that we live in because of this dichotomy. But shifting gears for a moment, also in the interest of time. Mikey, I wanted to ask you, what are you looking at uh, these days? What's on my mind right now is tomorrow... Did you know about the guy with the most likes drop tomorrow? Yeah. No, I don't know about his, I mean, I know I, I love his work, but I don't know about the drop. On, say, Criso, like Yeah. So he, I guess it's called Transient Labs. That's, yeah. I don't know what, exactly what it is. I mean, it's, I don't know, but it's a project that they're doing with a guy with the most likes where I think there's like 69 editions for 0. 0.069. Ooh. Ooh, I'm getting it's tomorrow. So yeah, look at Transient Lab or uh, Twitter. It'll be on there. 
but it's like it's like a book a visual book i don't know it looks really cool what they're doing it's not just about it's not just like you're not, not just buying a piece of art like it, it's like yeah well he's a wreck art there's earnings and stuff involved some mechanics involved yeah. I think it's like from his DMs because uh, like, I love that shit. <laughs> so it's like that he drew over his DMs, kind of though. That's what. <laughs> so yeah, I gotta definitely look at it, look at it. So it's through Transient Lab, right? Yeah, check yeah. it out. It's tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, what time is it? I'm not sure. I gotta pay attention. Like I said, I get paid tomorrow, so <laughs> it's for that. Enough for that, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And now, Mike, are you doing something with him? Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna do a collab with him on uh, Tez. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, we yeah, I gave him a concept. He liked it. I don't want to say anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Until yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. But it is <laughs> happening though, right? You're definitely working with him. Yeah, he said yeah. He said yeah, and I told him to take his time with it because yeah. I gotta figure out. I gotta do something before this to lead up to it. Oh, interesting. Okay, I need a, I need like a uh, um, uh, transitional episodes to get to like a pre, uh, a pre drop that sort of like segs into yeah. Yeah, we left off Wilson. He was getting trained by Rocky. Rocky, right? So he's like in North Philly right now. Right. He's got to make his way to like Center City, Philly. So okay, to get from North Philly to Center City, Philly, there's some rough area between there. I tell you. <laughs> So I don't know. I might be up a little squad to protect. To protect. I love that. That's all you're gonna say. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, it's a great thing. It's just like if I have to figure out if I can get this on on the screen. We'll see. It's, yeah, it's a daunting challenge. But you gotta challenge yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Way, bro. So yeah. we'll see how it turns out. But yeah, Mark. Yeah, it's a good idea for him. He liked it. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. Yeah, but and but the plan is to take the plan is to take Wilson, like in many places, right? You're gonna take him out of Philly at some point. I mean, I that's the thing, man. That thing that I like to keep that fluid. It's just crazy the way like life kind of dictate dictates where that story goes. Interesting. Because like like Basai and I, we agreed to to work together, and I came up with that idea, right? Uh, like Bruce idea, but then while we were kind of drawing it argentina went and won the world cup so right. was, you know, we couldn't have planned on that happening so yeah. like i just wrote that into the story that some crazy mysterious argentinian man won a ton of money at the world cup and bought mixed gym and but so that i just made that up on the fly like just like life wrote that one for me you know what i mean and i just be like that, water and just be around and yeah. Now that particular work, you did it with Basaya, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. And, I, and like, it's funny because like, it also worked out like, because he's like Italian Argentinian and like Rocky is like the Italian stallion. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> it just worked on like a lot of levels and like, well, that's, that's where like my, and like my parents are from like that area of Philadelphia. So like, yeah. that's cool. I don't know. It just worked on many levels. Like it was yeah. just meant to be, I guess. Like that was just right. a fun one. And he killed but, it. Like, yeah, he did. He did. He did. He did. But you're going to keep it fluid in that, like it could show up in, in so many places, right? Anywhere, man. Yep. You never know. In whatever context, whatever story, right? Yeah. Maybe whatever a blockchain at some point. I got yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Heads. We'll see. Yeah. Adam, did you look, have you looked at the Wilson project? Have you picked? <laughs> On Tez? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm on a few Mikey's. <laughs> He's got a couple. Yeah. yeah. He's a couple of Messiahs and yeah. the Krim crew. Like that. The heads up. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just woke up one day and just went crazy. I went nuts on secondary and picked it all up. Yeah. I, yeah, I knew it was like the creep wallet. So I'll find like a dope artist and I'll be like, dope artist, fucking like dope shit so i go and start looking through their wallets and it's just like a fucking that's how i discover i just go and dig through wallets i find work through artists yeah. best kind of that's your rabbit hole right there find out where's going that yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so that's how i did it in the early days though man like before like 
that's how I found who to follow on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like I would always go into the artists, see what they owned. Yeah. That, do I have a Twitter link? Click on that, follow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, I, mean I still go, I don't yeah. do it as often, but like, you know what I mean? I still do. And I'll go through like other collectors too. That I like a lot. You know what I mean? Like even Padrino. Like, yeah, because we can't find everything ourselves. The Mikey's one. What you do? Yeah, <laughs> and we all know each other's shit, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's so yeah, we're into good shit. Like, we just want yeah. to it stuff that doesn't suck. I think me and Mikey have a good time. Mikey's got his own bulletin, the daily bulletin of what to collect. <laughs> Documenting that shit. That's <laughs> a historical receipt of everything I did. Yeah, oh, man. exactly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, <laughs> one day, one day. Have you ever thought? Can, let me ask you a question, Mikey. Can Wilson be a physical piece? Can it be like either painted or printed or silkscreened? I don't know. I don't see why not. Dude, yeah, it's physical. Dude, some kind of physical. I, I am got a shitload of old Playboys from the 90s and 80s. I'm getting all this fucking radical old camel cigarette ads and all. <laughs> it's incredible. I think it'd be really cool in a small format, not too big, like maybe eight by 11 could be really cool. Yeah. I'm working on that. Yeah. What if I use like real blood for the face? Yeah. Yeah. Your own blood, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, just cut the palm open for the art. For the art. Yeah. Oh shit. All right. Hold on. I'll be right back. I got to show you something crazy. Yeah. Go ahead. What you got? (laughs) I like some of that, Mikey. I love that, honestly, like, I think this year, I really want to start messing with physicals, like maybe limited edition transfers. Yeah. I think it'll add it a lot, too. It'll bring in a lot of people, I think. I think so, too. I agree with that, yeah. Now, you remember, like, how CDs used to come back yes. in the early 90s? Huh. The you big, long, long fucking record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah See, it's money. Money. Oh, yeah. Look at that, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Yep. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Pink Floyd. Oh, Floyd. It's like being in high school. Okay. Oh, Pearl Jam, man. House of Pain? Was that House of Pain? Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's a good album. I'm actually thinking about doing something with these at some point. So, wait. So, how, well, like, what would you do with it? So what I used to do, actually, why I kept these was because I found out, like, back in the day, if you take, like, a thumbnail, like a thumbtack, it fits perfectly, like, inside here. Right. We'll have them all, put, like, put from the inside up against my wall. So oh, like, gotcha, gotcha, okay. So, like, when I moved, I uh, had to take them all down. But oh, wow. Like, Interesting. They had a problem with me, and I was like, I'm going to use these one day. Wow, yeah. all these old like Magic the Gathering cards and old baseball cards and shit. I don't know. I want to make some pet bays on them, like do like a fake grading PSA kind of style on it, like that's <laughs> how rare it is or something. They've got to look like actual Kenny Powers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Speaking of Pepe, what did we say we were gonna do? Yeah, last night when we were exchanging messages, what did we say we were gonna do with Pepe? Oh, I was gonna be the chairman of the Fed, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, the Jerome Powell. Jerome Powell, yeah. Oh. That would be cool. Or maybe like a DC. On banana. I don't know if I have the artistic chops for that yet. One of you guys should render that. (laughs) Like open editions, right? It's like the inflationary tool, right? For art. Use it as a prime thing. You like burn off, becomes more valuable. Crazy. Yeah, Mikey probably can take a stab at that. (laughs) <laughs> he did the he did that old English one, so yeah. Opted not to do that one. By the way, if you guys if you guys like the old cigarette ads, uh, I don't know if you guys know Roberto Salazar. He's a Mexican artist. He's been doing a lot of like um, studies with like old seventies Camel Cool. Forget the oh, uh, yeah, so- they're really really cool. I think he calls it the Nulls. I think it's called the project. But he's been doing this ongoing study of like old-fashioned 70s cigarette ads and rendered him. So you should check it out. It's really cool. I like that. 
I mean, dude, that was the 80s and 90s playboys. Incredible. Yeah. Ferraris and Porsches and Corvettes and babes with hair metal. <laughs> the gold mine. Yeah. That's <laughs> gold mine material right there. I'm yeah. watching bullshit right there, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I like making the stuff too. So I'm interested in that. Yeah. All right, guys. What else? Anything else? Should we wrap it up for the week and then maybe maybe pick it up again next next week if we have time? Sound good. Yeah, I gotta bounce. All right. All right, Mikey. Great, uh, great having you. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your a little bit of your story, but most important, your your technique behind your collecting. And uh, so it was great to touch and base with you. Yeah, and, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, and you too, Adam. It was great having you on the show. It's always it's always nice to open it up to new voices, and I think you have. Especially well, in both spaces, I think you're becoming a, a more and more relevant voice, one that it's it's worth following, worth listening to, and definitely got a lot to bring to the space. So Christian, I'm man. glad I have the I get to call you guys friends. So um, likewise, likewise, yeah. man. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I like I like talking with my peers. So. Yeah. All right, everybody, take Later, care. Have a good rest of the day. You too, dude. All right. Bye. Yeah. Anyway, that was the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and we'll, uh, we'll see you in the next episode. I'm your host, Michele Colonna, and you can find me on Twitter at mcolonna65. Thank you.